You're listening to the U.S. Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. Today's guests, co-founders of the U.S.-based supporters group Everton USA, Marshall Lamb and David Kurtz. Yes, come on into the U.S. Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. Stay a while as we delve into a subject today and a couple of guests that represent somewhat of a curveball. I've gotten to know two football mad, and I mean soccer, West Coasters, Marshall Lamb and David Kurtz who are great friends and co-founders of the hugely successful supporters group Everton USA. The guys run a huge community made up of Everton fans all over the United States and they travel at least twice a year to Merseyside, no one else does that, to watch not only Everton games but other Premier League teams and some weird got-to-love-it-to-do-it lower league footy. The three of us got pretty cosy in a hotel at Stamford Bridge to talk about the camaraderie of the group, what a trip to the UK for them consists of and of course how it all came to be and we'll get to all of that and more but first as i do every week the four best sports lines from the last seven days in america first and for the first time since 1908 a whole century and eight years the chicago cubs are world champions indians cubs was one of the greatest world series i've ever seen i think a lot of the baseball world's ever seen because of the teams involved the long wait for success for both clubs, the club's mystique. They've had the two best managers in the game there, Terry Francona and Joe Madden, and that amazing Game 7, the Cubs winning 8-7 in 10 innings after a rain delay in the ninth. Ben Zobris was the series MVP, taking us all the way back to the shrewd pick of Zobris up by Joe Madden ahead of this season. It was a really, really good pickup, and he proved a lot of the difference there. Zobris doubled off Brian Shaw to break the tie in the 10th inning. But there were two moments in the game that Cubs fans probably thought would go on to the list of curses suffered down the years. If there's a way to lose or if there's a way to say, oh yeah, that's why we lost, it's the Chicago Cubs. So the Cubs were up 6-3 in the 8th inning. They needed four outs for a championship. They had a role as Chapman who'd replaced John Lester who'd come in from the bullpen and it looked a no-doubter. And then Brandon Geyer drove in a run. Then Roger Davis hit a two-run homer from the only area he could hit one. Chapman went down and in, and it was 6-6. The Cubs were facing Corey Kluber for the third time in this series. This was the first time in his career he didn't record a strikeout. So you could maybe say he was fatigued. The Cubs had seen the same pitcher three times in the series. It gave them a chance to look at video, study his mechanics, study where he likes to pitch to. And I think the third time around, they finally got to him. The Cubs are the first team to win a World Series coming from 3-1 down and winning games 6 and 7 on the road since the 1979 Pittsburgh Pirates. From the middle of February, this team has been just completely together. Every man on this Cubs roster has been side-by-side, joking and playing as Joe Madden emphasised the need to take the pressure away from the word pressure. He brought in a lot of gags and silly things in spring training, trying to lighten the mood. He understood, appreciated that it was a long season And the players, it's amazing, it went down to the last day, but they have done what they wanted to achieve. Expectations were there, and they delivered. Even Jason Hayward, after the ninth inning and the rain delay, he went down to the weight room where all the hitters were, and he made apparently a very, very good speech. So he wasn't playing well pretty much all season, but he had his part to play. All the hitters were down there in the weight room, and general manager Jed Hoyer said that he saw that and knew that the the delay was great for his team. They regrouped. They didn't let it affect them. They didn't let the idea of Aroldis Chapman giving up a three-run lead in the eight, that's unheard of, didn't affect them in the end. And this young group of guys has got a lot of winning to do. So, you know, Joe Madden said it best, I think, after the game. 
talking about all the fathers and grandfathers who have had to suffer through the years. He said, it's really great for our entire cubdom to get beyond that moment and continue to move forward because now, based on the young players we have in this organisation, we have an opportunity to be good for a long time and without any constraints, without any of the negative dialogue. Well, there you go. David Ross signs off with a home run as well off none other than Andrew Miller, the toughest guy to hit a home run off. That was storybook as well. So the Cubs, world champions, and no baseball till next March, but we are excited for that. Congratulations to the Cubs. Second on the agenda to the NBA, Ray Allen has officially announced his retirement. Uh, This this happened in midweek. The 41-year-old hasn't played since the 2013-14 season. So the fact that he's retired feels slightly strange because it, it already felt like he had retired and, and he's been linked with Cleveland. He's been linked with Golden State. Uh, your friends are LeBron James. You're always going to have a chance to play. And he's a great shooter. He's always kept himself in amazing shape. So there was always a chance he could come back. Maybe he's spent enough time with his family and done, another, done enough off the court to, to appreciate the fact that retirement can work for people. Uh, so he did it via the Players' Tribune, which seems to be the platform for all grieving and gleeful athletes these days. Uh, he wrote a letter titled Letter to My Younger Self, illustrating how he grew up in a military family, how he never quite fitted in anywhere but the basketball court, which is a sense uh, the same for a lot of players. Ten-time All-Star. Uh, he'll be remembered for the sweetest form in basketball history, I think. You've got Steph Curry now who's going to probably break Rowland's record of 2,973 career three-pointers. But, you know, Curry's got the fast release. Clay Thompson's got incredible form. You go back down the list, Larry Bird, some great shooters. But Ray Allen, for me, had the the sweetest form of all. You can't teach what he he had. Um, He should also be remembered, though, for being more than just a three-point shooter. I think during the end of anyone's career, you you see it with Dwayne Wade now, he's understanding that the three-point shot can can extend his career. For Ray Allen, he ended his career shooting threes coming off of screens, but he also had uh, amazing athleticism when he was drafted in Seattle, dunking ability, he was an incredible athlete until he finished playing. But like I said, it is not odd feeling because he hasn't played for a couple of seasons I would have liked to have seen him maybe go onto a Warriors bench or a Cleveland bench I think he could have helped them out you look at someone like Richard Jefferson who's still effective in Cleveland but as a big Laker fan growing up I remember watching Allen during the 2008 and 2010 finals and you were scared as a Laker fan every time he got the ball that quick release it was just such a beautiful shot also remembered a lot for He Got Game the film with Denzel Washington produced by Spike Lee he was actually a really good actor. I thought he held his own and he was, you know, good looking dude uh, coming up through the through the ranks there. And, and he had a acting. He, he'll probably I wouldn't be surprised if he does a film. Let's put it that way. Um, but yeah, sad to see him go. But I think the NBA community has has gotten used to life without Ray the last couple of seasons. But a great career. Ten time all star, two time champion with Miami and Boston. He will be missed. To the NBA for number three, and Russell Westbrook is making my prediction for the MVP this season in LeBron James rather silly at the moment. Back-to-back triple-doubles last weekend for Russell Westbrook against the Suns and the Lakers. Against Phoenix, he had 51 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. The guy is playing unreal. He's averaging almost 38 points, 12 rebounds, and 11 assists a game. And now we can all go back to 1962 and remember the last time that someone averaged a triple-double. That was Oscar Robinson in his second season. To average a triple-double over 82 games 
is something that you will only see from a generational player. And Russell Westbrook has the keys to the system now. He he has the keys to the car. He has the keys to the city in Oklahoma with Kevin Durant, the villain, over on the West Coast in Golden State. Durant leaving means that this is Russell Westbrook's team, and you can see it. He's central to everything that's going on. Before, he might have had to give the ball up to Durant at certain points if he was taking too many shots. It is completely in his control to do whatever. And you've seen that the Golden, uh, sorry, the Oklahoma City Thunder, you've seen they've given extensions to Victor Oladipo, who's 24 years old, four-year extension. Steven Adams, four years too. He's 23. These are good deals because the Thunder are now building a young team around Westbrook. He's the man. Now, I'm looking at the first three games they had to play, and as I speak, they're about to go and face the LA Clippers and the Golden State Warriors. So things will get tough for the Thunder over the next week or so. So far, they've played the Sixers, Suns, and Lakers, who combined for 50 wins last season. So you can take Westbrook's numbers with a pinch of salt if you wish, but still, he's putting up insane numbers. He's played 38 minutes a game so far, and he's taken 29 shots. Can he keep that up? Can you keep that up over an entire season? Asking the question of averaging a triple-double is media-generated, of course. It's the start of the season. We're very, very early. These sort of things, so many things happen during a season that can change the, the, the course of it. But what I'm seeing so far, and I always used to see Westbrook play with a ferocity that we've, we've hardly ever matched. I'm seeing a guy who is super-channeled, super-energized by Durant leaving. That's what that's what I see. He's he's so motivated and he's tired of hearing the crap about Durant going over there being asked the questions. You saw the qu- the quote that he said to a reporter that it was cute, you know, Durant's comments about the Thunder. It was cute about Durant talking about how good the Warriors were and their system and the team. Secretly, he's happy. It's his team now. Durant reportedly only texted uh Russell Westbrook that he was going to the Warriors back in the summer. He didn't even call him. There was certainly some bad blood between these two, and I'm sure that Westbrook is going to play in a freedom that Durant wants in Golden State. And these numbers he's putting up, it's just fair to ask the question, because he started so well, can he do it for the entire season? Now, they need 50-plus wins for him to compete for an MVP award. And when they play the Warriors and the Clippers, like I said, he'll have to defend better players. He'll have to defend Chris Paul, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and then we'll see where this is going. But you will tune into a game for certain players. Russell Westbrook is one. And I urge you to follow him this season because he is putting up numbers that if they are challenging and if they finish second in the Western Conference, and I know that you shouldn't judge the MVP award on where the team finishes, the standings, but we do so. So if the Thunder do finish in the top two in the West and they get over 50-plus wins, losing to Kevin Durant, I think Westbrook's going to be right up there for the MVP discussion. And finally, in the NFL, known more and more as the No Fun League, as they keep taking away all the celebrations these days, North Turner has resigned from his post as offensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. Now, it was Wednesday morning this week, North Turner became the fourth offensive coordinator to leave his post, either by resignation or firing. He was brought in by head coach Mike Zimmer back in 2014. So... Zimmer says he's surprised at this decision. Turner said the two's views on where the offense was going was totally different. Um, You know, I think Zimmer made decisions here that might have forced Turner's hand, even unconsciously. Zimmer brought in Pat Shermer to lead the tight end group this season. He's been an offensive coordinator in Philadelphia, St. Louis, and Shermer was also a head coach in Cleveland 
who wants that job, by the way. But was this a pressure on Turner, even if Zimmer wasn't consciously doing it? Also, Sherman was Sam Bradford's offensive coordinator twice before, when Bradford came into the league as a rookie with the Rams and also in 2015 with the Eagles. Again, another pressure on North Turner, knowing that there's someone working with other players, okay, I'll beat the tight end group, that has experience with Bradford, knows his game, knows his tendencies. It's funny how two losses changes a lot, though. What we were saying before about an undefeated Vikings team, oh, and now, you know, losses to Philadelphia and Chicago, and uh, admittedly a very poor Chicago team this year. It means we understand the absence of Teddy Bridgewater, Adrian Peterson, lineman Matt Khalil, Andre Smith, is actually quite important. (laughs) One other weird thing, Zimmer reportedly has in the past picked the brain of Hugh Jackson, who is now Brown's coach, and uh, in that situation he was offensive coordinator for the Bengals. You can tell me which one was the best situation for Hugh Jackson. Why was Zimmer doing it with Jackson? He obviously didn't feel like Turner could help out, or you know, did he just want a shake-up? Did he think that becoming offensively talented in your mind and you know looking at new schemes and everything else did he feel like Turner wasn't the guy for that so the Vikings have the second worst total offense in the NFL and in yards per game and suddenly we hear people saying that Sam Bradford might not be the long-term solution it's a week-to-week league people and boy do we overreact after wins and losses Make sure to send me your best and worst moments every week to my Twitter page. I'm at Max underscore Whittle. That is not my middle name. It is just an underscore as we move forward with the top four section. But it is guest time. It's Soccer Mad Americans time. The co-founders of Everton USA. Go check out EvertonUSA.net if you want to know more about how you can get involved with this very, very, I'm going to say the biggest growing soccer family in the US. They are supporters of of what they call America's soccer team. Oh, yes, Marshall Lamb and David Kurtz. Back on the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. Joining me today, Marshall Lamb and David Kurtz, the founders of Everton USA. What's that, you ask? Everton USA is the official supporters organization of Everton Football Club in the United States. Now, to give you some idea of the dedication these two have, Marshall's from San Francisco. Say hello, Marshall. Hello, Max. And David is from L.A. Hey, dude. This week, they've been to games in Liverpool and Leicester, and that includes an Everton under-23 game, which by my estimate is one step better than wet Stoke Monday night, you know. <laughs> this being the US Sports Podcast, I am going to refer to the sport as soccer today, so forgive me. Marshall, let's start with you. How did soccer become part of your life? Uh, well, like most American, most American boys, everyone plays. I started playing soccer when I was five years old, and we played organized soccer all the way through high school. And that included club soccer, included, you know, just you, you'd play as part of an association where I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and you just played. And when you graduated high school, you really couldn't continue playing unless you played intramural in college and that sort of thing. So we've just just been playing my whole life and, and following the game and, and the ups and downs of U.S. soccer over the years. And, um, you know, now I get a chance to come to England and, and see Everton play and it's a pretty incredible experience. David, the Rams have just moved back to LA, but are there more Galaxy fans in that part of the world? Not Galaxy yet. They haven't eclipsed the NFL yet, but uh, and the Rams, keep in mind, are moving back, so there's still or there was a fan base that actually went out every Sunday and watched them in pubs all over uh, LA. Um, but soccer certainly, you know, it has arrived in the United States, and uh, 
California is the center of it all. They have uh, a quarter of all the registered soccer, youth soccer players in America are in California. So uh, between the sort of the shift of our the demographics of our population um, and the rise of, of world football on in the media, we're now big soccer fans over there. Before we get to Everton USA, it's important to know how you two met. So who wants to tell that well, story? Like, like most Renaissance men uh, who meet... We, we had an appreciation for jazz, and we met through jazz uh, people that we know. We're both in the music business for many, many years, and uh, became fast friends, uh, known each other almost 20 years now, and uh, we've always had an affinity for jazz and, and great fun, and with football, we've you know been coming to England and traveling together for the last almost seven years. Yeah, you guys are crazy. So you're here this time, but you haven't brought anyone with you. But I've seen it. I've seen it for real when you come over with the Everton fans. 20 Americans walking down Chelsea High Street. Max, that's actually like 50 Americans. <laughs> 50 Americans. How did the plan come together? So whose idea was it, David? Sure. It's much better to come visit, to come to a football game with all your buddies. And when you're an American, a lot of people stop in all by themselves, maybe get one seat, meet, meet the guy next to them. But uh, we turned spring break Liverpool into a big thing with all our fans. So every year we come in about in March um, during U.S. spring break, which is when the schools have a week off, and uh, bring 50 people to Liverpool. And it's always St. Patrick's Day, which in Liverpool is way too much fun. Uh, the people are cool. Get to see your favorite team. And uh, it's become a pilgrimage that people do every year. And they really look forward to it. We're or basically already sold out for that trip and uh, just try to include as many people as we can. Marshall, I'm intrigued what Americans think of Liverpool when they get there because I think there is a, there is a, there's a stereotype of England when yeah. everyone drinks the tea and it looks like Greenwich, but it doesn't, right? Well, first and foremost, I, I want to give a shout-out to Dermot in Boston uh, and the Boston Evertonians who really had the vision and the forward-thinking ability to, to, to look down the road and see that Everton could be America's team. And he and a few other people around the country became, you know, Evertonians in America and Everton USA. And people can go to the website EvertonUSA.net and see what we're doing. But shameless plug. Thank you. Uh, Answer but, the question. Man. Yeah. Well, hold on. No, but I think it's I think it's important that people really understand that this has been something that's only occurred in the last like seven or eight years in America. That it went from five clubs, you know, people getting together in the morning and watching the matches to over 120 Everton USA. Uh, supporters clubs uh, around the country and it's it's really amazing to see the growth of not only Everton but of the Premier League in the States I mean people it, it it changed the entire sleep patterns of people in America we get up in the morning on the weekends instead of sleeping in and kids get up and watch it with their parents it's an incredible social phenomenon in a lot of ways in America uh, but when we come to Liverpool and the groups we bring, half of the groups you keep in mind, uh, never have come out of the U.S. before. They had to get a passport. And the, the reason they go and get a passport and go through everything and save their money and, and do this trip is because they want to see Everton play at Goodison Park. It's a dream come true. They're not coming to England to see the Elgin Marbles and to go to Buckingham Palace to see the changing of the guard. When you say, hey, I got tickets to the Derby, that moves the needle. You know, Forget the Eiffel Tower. We want to go see uh, Phil Jagielka. So, uh, <laughs> have you ever brought anyone here from your group who isn't quite sure about soccer yet? They're not quite convinced, but when they get into Goodison Park, they're instantly hooked. Absolutely, because 
We've had what's always fun is the guys who drag their wives who have no interest whatsoever other than you guys. They figured no, we we we've I've subjected my wife and my my wife's never Tony. Yeah, my my (laughs) wife's down with that. Um, But uh, there definitely been some guys who dragged wives on like European trips that ended with let's go to Liverpool. Once we had a woman who I think they'd gone to five different cities in eight days, and when she arrived at Liverpool, she was like, "I'm done with this." But you send them out to Goodison Road, and they're drinking at pubs on County Road, meeting new friends. Um, you know, to, to actually answer the question you originally asked Marshall, who went on a random tangent, <laughs> Liverpool is awesome. Americans often come to London and say, "Hey, it's a great city, but it's a big city. People aren't friendly on the street. This, that, the other." If you're an American and you show up in Liverpool and say, "I'm an Evertonian," you don't pay for a drink. We had a guy with us that, this weekend who's mm-hmm. seven feet tall. He's a bad, he looks like he's a basketball player. He's not. He's a marketing consultant. And he, uh, he was like a celebrity in Liverpool. People wanted photos with him in his Everton shirt and be like, I met an American who loves Everton. And the door guy's taking five bucks to get a photo with him. could you fit him in I just wanted to ask you I'm intrigued now Um, when you come over with these with these groups what do you do outside of the football because you have to make sure that you're still recruiting people right well part of the 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 tours that we do the trips that we do with Everton USA you also take a tour of Goodison Park and the club has been so open and, and hospitable to the to the American support that we take a tour of Goodison Park it's usually led by Graham Sharp or Graham Stewart or a former legend, um, uh, former player. And then we also take a tour of Finch Farm. And then sometimes we even come to Manchester and go to the football museum, and we connect other games with the schedule. So we'll go to a championship. Legends night is always a big big thing. We don't have – our legends don't get together once a week and tell stories in a pub. And those are fantastic, especially the ones where they get really blue. Um, So it – those are fantastic, and you know we also try to do local Liverpool stuff. We send everyone on a Beatles tour. We take them to the Cavern Club. When we're here for spring break, it's always St. Patrick's Day, which is just that we make them bring ridiculous St. Patrick's Day costumes and have a great time. Yeah, you can't help love, you can't help but uh, love Liverpool on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. You know, and just mix it with with, with Everton, and and you you get really hyped up about it, and you go back home to America and you tell all your friends. Yeah. That Everton's the club that you should support because mm-hmm. Americans we can pick the team. Yeah, so the majority of the time the uh, of that trip, the game is usually the letdown. Yeah, <laughs> it, <laughs> it, was, it was when I came. Had, what? Yeah, it was, you, when yeah, I came they, to the game, it was two 0 Arsenal. Right? Yeah, but that was right after one of the top ten games of all time, which was the FA Cup quarterfinal yeah. against Chelsea, where we won two 0 We have one guy who's been on three trips and not seen Everton score. Yeah, he has now spent close to fifteen thousand dollars. Coming to Liverpool and is yet to celebrate a goal, which is all he wants. He doesn't. He said the next one. He doesn't care if they lose five one, as long <laughs> as they get that one. Wow. <laughs> that was David Kurtz. Marshall Lamb is the other one. So, U.S. football. You say that Everton. I thought you, you were saying soccer. Is yeah, so, okay. I've lost it already. Right, okay. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not used to it. Um, so you guys say that Everton. You want that's the target that you want Everton to be America's team. All I see now in England is pre-season. Lots of Premier League sides go over to the States now. Even Leicester City were there, and we'll get to your Will Ferrell story, David. But how is is this not? Oh no, is this too ambitious for you? 
to be Everton in the, in America? No, of course not. I, I think because of, uh, the Premier League is on television in America. There's a generation of kids who have grown up with the game. And what you've seen just in the last four years of the, of the Premier League being on television in America, we can watch every game. I can watch it on my phone. Um, and we don't just watch Everton. We watch a bunch of different games, you know. Just because we have an insatiable appetite. America now has a, a, an appetite for the game, not only to watch it, but to read about it and watch the YouTube videos and come to England. And when the teams come over during the summer, you want to learn everything you can about the history just so you can have a conversation with people. And with the way American football is here, when it, when it comes to London, we really believe that the Premier League should replicate that model of Regent Street, all the NFL flags that people might have seen on Regent Street, to do that on Sunset Boulevard in L.A. or on Market Street in San Francisco or on Fifth Avenue in New York and really tell people that this is the biggest show on earth. And but you're more concerned with the Premier League becoming big there or are you more concerned? I'm not concerned Everton? about it at all. Because well, I'm talking about Everton. How do you make that a big big deal in, in the States with what you're trying to do? Well, I think it's already a big deal. And you watch SportsCenter and they cover Everton and they say it's America's team because of the long history of American players. And, you know, we've been able to create a, 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 a you know, a, an identity for Everton that is based on the American players rather than, say, Dixie Dean or some of the, the legendary players that have played for the club in England. Because people in America don't know. Yeah, yeah, David, who have you come into terms with? Who have you met through? I mean, Tim Howe is a big one as well, right? Yeah, look, I think it's uh, every team has to find their U.S. narrative. And for... You know, Everton sells itself around the you know the Holy Trinity and Alex Young and and uh, Dixie Dean and in America they actually are doing it around. We we activated all the old American legends. I mean, Joe Max Moore only played for a season. Landon Donovan for two loan spells. Tim Howard for a decade, but that was enough to say you know that that's what the Americans want to pay attention to. When we do our Everton USA Vegas convention. We're bringing in January, so you Evertonians that are listening, you can come visit us in, in January at the Planet Hollywood. We're going to be at the sports book. It's going to be a great weekend. EvertonUSA.net, check it out. Tell me if this question makes sense. So, with all the concussions going on in the NFL, college football at the moment in the States, is the concussion problem helping soccer become bigger in America? No. Because we're starting, soccer is ridiculously dumb about the effects that that it has also. And I mean, America, the NFL has just come to realize this, but you and I both know that old football players do not have a healthy retirement, right? And there are plenty of guys, I mean, the old bulls. look at mm-hmm. look look at Gaza. I mean, that's what Ameri- that's American football. They might have the same problem and you look at Christoph Kramer at the World Cup with the concussion. Well, the they big, just Jeff Astle's the big the big one. He di- he died of Alzheimer's, yeah. but they found out he had a form of CTE yeah, as well. Yeah. yeah. Right? So look, I think it's just that you haven't looked at it. But parents are not giving their kids more part in in soccer participation in, in America. Under twelve, you're not allowed to head the ball at AYSO. Young players are not until you're twelve years old. If you hit a if you score a goal with a header, they pull it out because you're not allowed to in Princeton, New Jersey. Every kid is required to play with a, a soccer helmet really? that G-Form is making. So like a scrum hat. Yeah. Rugby. We are 100% ahead of you guys on that level because the liability with the courts and what the NFL is getting sued. I mean, to be perfectly honest, the NFL could not exist in 10 years because of the liability related to this. 
and FIFA and FA and all of soccer doesn't recognize that it's a problem yet. But when you start opening brains of, of these guys and looking at some of these terrible stories... But I think the, the perception is that soccer is a safe sport or a safer sport. So absolutely, true. Would, absolutely. Absolutely. Would and, you th- do you and, think more parents are letting kids play soccer over American football? 100%. Yep. And 100%. It's, for generations, I played, Dave played, everybody played. Um, and you, know, they, you continue to play until you can't really play anymore. There's just no more options for people who don't go to college and play or they get a contract to play at an MLS team, which is a new phenomenon in the U.S. Uh, but everyone played soccer because it was every, there's a pitch. Not everybody plays, plays full contact American football, and yeah. certainly at the Tackle youth level. There, there are areas where it's massive, but my son goes to a high school that doesn't even have a team um, but has a great soccer team. Um, Lacrosse, field hockey, those kinds of sports are sort of but replacing tackle, the tackle popularity is, on that level. Yeah. But, you know, there's certainly bastions like Texas where, you know, youth football is like, you know, adults pay, buy tickets for it. And, uh, They're playing and in $30 million stadiums. We, and yeah, what we call the Rust Belt, what we call it Florida, you know, Alabama, Mississippi, all the South. That's still very football-centric and not soccer-centric yet. Let me ask you this question, Marshall. If David Beckham hadn't have come to the States to play for the Galaxy, do you think it would still be struggling to get where it is today? Well, you said it, it's still struggling. I mean, it, he that, that was a huge move. I mean, one of the greatest moves in, in Best MLS. Best money history. spent. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, the Galaxy have made 10x on that. And if he can really pull off the franchise in Miami and really make that a viable business and something that the fans want to come see, I mean, it's it's a double genius move. What did he, but, do, what did he do? Because at the moment you see a lot of age players who are big in Europe come to the MLS. But did he do something different? The MLS wasn't in the news as you know wasn't even on the map at that point and when David Beckham everything that David Beckham did um, brought it up and then he won championships so it wasn't a regular top 10 on Sports Center. it wasn't any of that until David Beckham came in and you're right it, it, it is based on the teams are based on three aging veterans who get paid a fortune and a bunch of college kids mm-hmm. and that's a big issue for the MLS is that they aren't the best league in the world not even by a long shot so um, there's and there's not a lot of guys who move the needle right like Steven Gerrard is a great player and very highly respected here but he doesn't move the needle in the US but on that point then let me ask you this because I think NFL fans here are so lucky to have what they have but they're still asking for a franchise does America know how lucky it is to have Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard, you know, in the same season? Eh. <laughs> your, so, your no, I mean, I don't know how many Liverpool supporters started showing up to Galaxy games. I mean, it's negligible because he didn't play very well. Um, I think with David Villa, right? Uh, he moves the needle. Yeah, I think he moves the needle. I think you get, you know, uh, Valencia supporters, Spanish national team supporters coming out to those games and being part of the supporter network, some of the ultra section in, in Yankee Stadium of all places, uh, I think he definitely moved the needle. So are they doing it for money, do you think? Sure. We're the professional athletes. Yeah, They're yeah. doing it for a green card. Yeah. <laughs> if you do, uh, and this is, this is what built the Cosmos back in the 80s, is that if you, know, you do an 18-month contract, you're eligible to, for a green card in the United States. And I think that has a lot to do with especially... Uh, you know, a lot of those players um, who can get the contract over there at the end. It you makes mentioned their commercial Beckham, right? Appeal. You, you, we saw each other the other day. You mentioned Beckham. He he got the green card and 
He makes a lot of money with that green mm-hmm. card, he, and he pays a lot of taxes. Life's good. <laughs> I mentioned earlier. Sorry, Marshall, you want to speak? No, I just want to say that there's a an interview with with Pirlo when he when he came to New York, and he said the reason I came is because I can walk down the street and no one knows me. That's great. I can go in a restaurant. I can take my family out. I don't need security. I can walk the beach. And no one knows me. Why wouldn't you do it? Lampard's in New York having a great time. I mentioned Will Ferrell uh, just earlier and Chris Paul as well. You saw them in L.A. with Lester. What was that story? Super cool. Lester put on a on a uh, a kids clinic right down the street from me. A bunch of the kids were that I know were involved. And uh, with the LAFC, which is part owner part owned by Will Farrell, whose son came out. <laughs> and Chris Paul and the Clippers came out as well. I'm sure you've seen it on YouTube. It's very... There's a lot of really funny clips of Chris Ball and uh, and Will Farrell and Christian Fuchs and Shinji Okazaki, but what was really interesting was that Chris Paul and the Clippers were really inter- and Will Farrell really saw the Leicester City guys as celebrities. As that you know, you know, even just Christian Fuchs and Shinji Okazaki were really and Claudio Ranieri were treated like Leicester City man, and uh, and you know that's part of the. How European soccer plays in the United States is that we don't know what the big teams are and the small teams are, and you know for the most part the Premier League started when NBC got the rights to us. So uh, you know going back in time, you'll see you know kids are big fans of Man City and they're now they're big fans of Leicester City, and you unfortunately you won't find the really traditional teams that well supported. You know there aren't Aston Villa fans, there aren't a ton of Newcastle fans, but there's. You know, it's uh, it's really interesting, but I think somewhere down the road, as as those teams go up and down, that the championship will even be popular in the United States too, because that's a really fun league that's really competitive, with a super cool relegation and promotion series. Marshall, with the Premier League in mind, and even the championship as well, like David mentioned, does the MLS have any bearing on growth of soccer in the states? I think people go. To MLS matches, they buy tickets. Some of the many of them sell out. All the games sell out, but on television, no one really watches it. I mean, no one's going to tune in for a, you know, a Red Bulls NYCFC match. I mean, people just don't tune into that across the country. Uh, I mean, it's growing. People keep going to the matches. They keep expanding. Um, but in terms of uh, if there's there's room for the, the Premier League and La Liga and Serie A to move into the U.S., of course. Because we already have five established sports leagues in the U.S. from the NBA and NHL, the NFL. So people have an ability to watch a lot of different sports and pick a lot of different teams. And not just watch the live match, but to follow the teams on social media, online, throughout the week. So there's definitely room. There's competition. But I think as long as you have a really good quality product on the pitch or on the, the court or on the field, people will respond to it. I'm obsessed with American sports, right? So not as yeah, much soccer. Are. So I want to get some questions in about that. But last one, if you guys want to say anything about Everton USA, David first, go ahead. Absolutely. Um, Everton USA is uh, the greatest community of all time and the You're only here. proper firm in the United States. Um, if any American Evertonians are listening, come join us. And uh, you see you down at the pub. And we will certainly be back all over. You know, Americans are coming to watch Premier League, so... Look for us in every stadium all over. Marshall, what will you get if you join Everton USA? You get Not only do you get new friends and a community of like-minded people who really care about something bigger than themselves, you join a family. But Everton is the only club in Europe that sells match day tickets directly to U.S. supporters in U.S. dollars on a timeline that you can plan out your vacation. 
And I got to give it up to, to Everton. You know, they they understood that Everton USA fulfilled a, a, a an objective they had to take over the U.S. And the best way to do that is to give the give access to U.S. supporters. And with Everton USA, you get access to tickets. You get U.S. specific merchandise. You know the the kits that are made with the you know the the crest of your club, your individual club, in say Memphis or San Francisco, where I live, or in L.A. with the Everton USA crest on the other, it it really shows other supporters in America that Everton is doing it right. That we're making things that people in America want in U.S. sizes, and you know you you have an ability to be in a group of people around the world that care for a team that. You can now go see. Arsenal doesn't do that. United doesn't do that. They don't say, hey, just go to the, this website, EvertonUSA.net. Six weeks later, you could be sitting in Goodison Park. And I think that's really, really important. You know, we're here in London. Uh, we're, we've been talking with a lot of different leagues and clubs about, um, you know, what their vision for America is. But Everton really has that vision. They, they have the correct vision. And through Everton USA, they can really. Um, realize that vision here with Marshall Lamb and David Kurtz of Everton USA last couple of questions guys so you, Marshall you're in San Francisco at the moment Colin Kaepernick national anthem all mm-hmm. that's going on with that what is the type of city what does San Francisco represent and what's the reaction been since this has been happening most interesting to me is how quickly what Colin Kaepernick did which was really exercise his right to free speech that it's carried on to so many other sports from high school to professional players who have kneeled or sat or laying in a prone position with their hands up, don't shoot me, in within a month. And I've never seen that before in America that you know people felt comfortable pro- protesting America in that way. And the amount of coverage that he received in a negative way really goes to show you that America hasn't fully embraced the ideals of the U.S. Constitution, which is free speech. And that's really what it boils down to, that you have to be able to do whatever you want to protest without, you know, pulling out a gun or whatever else and being violent. But you can you can really change America by simply sitting or kneeling and not saying something. David, where do you think this is going? Because I think, for me, I, th- I thought a couple of weeks back that if, if, an, if a white athlete did it, until a bigger group of white athletes come out and do this, I think... I think it's kind of going to taper out. What do you think? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I think that it's look, it's a nonviolent protest. Some people feel that that's it's an it's an affront to the police forces of the of the country who are who are Americans who serve the country very well. Um, but it's a conversation that we've been we need to have. It's been happening too long, and I actually think the conversation might not even be about race, and it might be about guns, but. It, He's in a nonviolent protest. Look, we, we laud people who do nonviolent protests that brings on change. Martin Luther King, Gandhi. And I don't want to put Colin, Colin Kaepernick into that group. But it's a, it's a really, you know, uh, him taking the stand and leading the way and has, has really made it. It started the conversation and people are talking about it and the right thing. And I think that slowly the sports media even turned around and said, Look, this is great, but at the same time, what is the role of that in sport? Is it a really viable question? I mean, should you leave that at the stadium gates, um, much like you leave you know religion out of the conversation in America too? 
um, and maybe it's the wrong venue, but at the same time, it's your American rights, and he's expressing his rights, and I feel that, you know, telling him not to express his rights is actually the unpatriotic American thing, but we all interpret that in different ways, And the, but the conversation was had without violent protest, without anyone getting hurt, and that's how Americans do it. Last one, and we'll get out of here. Mr. David, Mr. I've got season tickets at the Clippers, Kurt. Yeah. Uh, Donald Sterling, <laughs> do you have any dirt on Mr. Sterling? Any more than we've already got? Or are we around He's that? back together with that lady. I know that. <laughs> oh, I, really? That's the craziest thing. The woman who ruined his life is still his girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and they live together, and he's a very strange man. And... Uh, and, you know, if you look at his business acumen, there was a lot longer story of, you know, this was not a snap. He had, we found out he said something racist once. It was a history of bias again in his business. He was a real estate baron who wouldn't, who was a low rent, uh, he had a, he has a low rent real estate empire in Los Angeles. He was a renting black people for a long time. So, Look, I think he got his just reward, and his just reward was a $2 billion payout. So um, I was watching Steve Ballmer today, actually. He's, he's the best. That's crazy. I love that guy. <laughs> if you have, like, a geeky, crazy guy who's super rich as your owner, it's the best thing. I mean, imagine if Roman Abramovich was, like, awkward and, like, super into it rather than just trying to look cool because he knew the camera was on him that's what Steve Ballmer is. he, he can care. probably see us from here <laughs> yeah he probably sat over Chelsea way <laughs> yeah. David Marshall thanks for your time thanks Max you're the best Max there you go two very interesting Americans in a hotel in Chelsea um, it's funny how they came together through jazz and ended up building you know a, an international soccer community that is what I learned today on the podcast that you can achieve anything if you want to, and, and those two guys, West Coast, the time difference, eight hours behind the UK, getting up at seven in the morning, six in the morning to watch to watch soccer. It's and it's it's crazy. It's really crazy. But the the level of dedication, and it's funny because we we cross paths, uh, David Marshall and myself, probably twice a year, three times a year if we're lucky. And it's funny because I always go and watch Everton play with them at Goodison Park and. Everyone that comes with them says I'm the complete opposite to them. So they follow soccer so early in America, they come over to watch games, whereas I'm staying up late to watch American sport and I go over there to watch it. I think I'd rather be getting up early to watch games, especially on a weekend, whereas midweek you've got to stay up late to watch basketball or baseball or um, I think the NFL is the only one where you can stay up on and watch on a Sunday. But really interesting to see how it's growing over there in the US and we will have MLS guests on uh, as we as we move forward. But thanks for listening. Again, I'm on Twitter at Max underscore Whittle. Make sure you go check out EvertonUSA.net to find out more info about Marshall and David's project because it is still a project. Until next time and next week, we have a very funny man coming on the podcast. I'll leave it at that. He's a comedian. He's an actor. He's a big Detroit Lions fan. I'll see you then.